You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, I'm going to take a moment, and for our next few moments together, I had a different plan for today. We were going to start a new teaching series But um, I really feel like God put on my heart for uh, today to speak about a specific topic and a specific word. And as I talk about this, um, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit because I'm going to do things a little bit different than I normally do. I usually have, you know, three or four points. I got a good rhythm when it comes to message prep. Today I have four points, but the first one I'm going to spend the majority of my time on. And then the last three... I'm going to do pretty quickly. I'm going to hit pretty quickly, okay? So if I'm taking a little bit longer on point number one, nobody panic, all right? We're not going to be here for three hours, all right? But I promise you it's going to be worth, it's going to be worth um, every bit of time. And so today we are going to talk about the value of God's word, the value of God's word. And I want to talk about this specifically. Um, This has been on my heart for several months the value of God's word. How do we value God's word in our church? How do we value God's word in our personal life as well, that we would take it outside of Sundays? How do we value God's word? I wanna talk about this because there's a lot of conversation going on in the church world right now. There's, um, and I'm not here to bash anybody or name names or anything like that, but there's a well-known pastor who's going through a lot of pushback right now in his church, and and he's a well-known pastor across our, our nation, and he's going through a lot of pushback because they have done some things, um, that are, to be transparent, they're against God's plan and God's design for, uh, for the church. And they have made some statements, they have done some conferences and things where they have been basically promoting or affirming uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, and, the, and they, they do it in the sense of we're trying to connect those kids to their parents. And I think in the beginning of all of this, when they started making some of these statements, they had a good heart. But I think as time and as years have gone on, they begin to drift. And here's why I would say that. Um, They did a conference where they had some uh, speakers get up who were basically affirming this lifestyle. And as they begin to have this conference, the church began to have some some splits. There was a lot of people getting angry. I thought we didn't believe this. I thought we believed something else. What's going on? What do we believe? And so this pastor gets up um, one of the following weekends to clear the air, is what he says, and he has a 50-minute message. And in the first 48 minutes of his message to clear the air on where they stand biblically about a certain topic, he did not use one scripture in the first 48 minutes, not one scripture. And I don't know about you, but I don't know how you can make a case for where you stand biblically if you don't use the Bible. Amen, somebody? And then in the last two minutes, he used one scripture, but he quoted it out of context. And so as I watched this and suffered through it, I began to realize that there is a a shift beginning to take place, I think, in the church world, capital C, across America. You see, in America, we are very comfortable with church. In America, we're pretty spoiled with church. And in America, in ministry, I'll say this, in uh, light of trying to grow our ministries and grow our church, sometimes we can drift from the things that are rock solid and in a way to try to help convince people to get them in the doors. And there's a time and a place for to invite, uh, you know, and, and to make your name known and to, there's a way to get people in the doors. I understand the motivation behind some of that. However, we can never, 
steer away from valuing God's word above anything else. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I, I would say this, the Bible, God's holy word must be the most important thing in our lives. It has to be. If it's not, we're prone to wander and we're prone to come up with these feel-good opinions on how we're supposed to live this life, which will eventually lead to death and destruction. And what happens is sometimes pastors, and again, they don't start off this way. It's a slow drift. In fact, this pastor that I'm talking about, I, I used to follow him. I used to, I've read a few of his books. And, and so I, I've seen it firsthand begin to drift. What happens is we begin to replace scripture with stories and funny stories and engaging stories. And at the end of the message, we just kind of say some words that will pull on your heartstrings to get you to see things how we see things. And so you leave feeling emotional and you leave feeling like, yeah, that makes sense. But again, if there is no scripture involved, there is a problem. If there's no scripture involved and someone is speaking on behalf of God to the people they're shepherding, there is a serious problem. And so I will say this before I get into this. If you listen to other pastors, in fact, I, I think that's a great thing. I listen to quite a few other pastors. If you listen to other pastors throughout the week on YouTube, there's amazing teachers out there. There's amazing, amazing pastors out there. Um, some way more gifted than I am. I'm, I'll be the first to admit that. But I will say this. If you're listening to other pastors who don't use a multitude of scripture in their daily teachings or the, every time you listen to them, you need to prayerfully consider is what they're speaking the actual truth. Because it can be confused with my opinion sounds so convicting that it's truth. Or can I make a statement, show you in God's word from a two or three places why I made that statement and reveal to you that it actually is truth. Those are two very different things. So let's talk about it. We're going to dive into this. And again, bear with me. Point number one here, value God's word above any word. This is what I'm talking about today. Value, how do we value God's word above any other word? There is more power, more authority, more life change in believing God's word than there is even in personal testimony. Now, here's my comparison I'm going to talk about today. Personal testimony or stories versus God's word. Hear me, there's a time and a place for stories. Scripturally, biblically, there's a time and a place for testimony. But testimony and firsthand experience can never replace scripture. I'm going to show you where we see that from Paul and from Jesus himself. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Here's what's interesting. Paul does not say, according, I, I preached to you according to what I saw when he appeared to me on the road. He doesn't say, I, I reveal these things to you. I preach to you according to what Peter saw firsthand, according to what the women at the tomb saw whenever he was raised on the third day. He does not say that, which he could. What does he say? I reveal to you the things. I preach to you the things. Jesus here died, buried, raised on the third day, according to the scripture. So bear with me here. Paul elevates the scriptures above the testimonies of men above the testimonies of men. Facts of the crucifixion can be known by a natural man. Facts of the crucifixion can be known by a natural man, but the purpose of the crucifixion, of the gospel, can only be known through scripture. 
the purpose of it, which leads to belief, can only be known through Scripture. And so I'll say it this way. Facts can't save you, and they won't save you. But believing Scripture can. Facts can't save you, just knowing about it, but believing the Scripture does. Facts aren't going to change your life and, and save you from hell. Believing Scripture and walking it out, doing what it says, it can change your life. So Scripture takes precedence over all other communications, all other experiences, because it is the primary way God communicates through this thing. It's the primary way that God is ever going to reveal things to us is through this. So imagine this, if we're going to have a relationship with God, what should we be committed to? Communication, all right? Any strong marriage has great communication. Any strong friendship has great communication. If we're going to be, have a great relationship with our Heavenly Father, it comes through communication. The primary way God communicates is through this. So let's look at how Jesus addressed this after he was brought back and he was raised from the dead. And now he's going and he's talking with his disciples. So we're going to go to Luke 24. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Luke 24. That's where we're going to read out of today is Luke 24. That's our primary passage for today. Luke 24, Jesus, this is after the resurrection. Jesus is back. He's now going to minister and talk with his disciples. Luke 24, verse 13 says this. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself, he drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? As you walk together and are sad. So Jesus shows up. Obviously, we know that the Holy Spirit can reveal things to us. Scripturally, we can also see that the Holy Spirit can block things from our view that we don't see. They didn't recognize Jesus at all. But here's why. Jesus no longer wanted them to know him through their natural senses. He didn't want them to know him through their natural senses as natural men. He had a new and a better way for them to connect with God. Why? Because the real you is not your, your flesh body. The real you is a spirit that lives forever. So God is beginning to open this door for, I want you to know me spirit to spirit, not body to body, spirit to spirit. It's the way that he is going to communicate with his people. Also, the emotion of recognizing Jesus would have been so overwhelming that they couldn't receive anything that he would say to them. Imagine it, right? They are sad. They're distraught. The emotion of Jesus is alive would so overtake them. What Jesus had to do next and say next to them would be so overshadowed by them, just their minds being blown that Jesus is here. They wouldn't receive it. We would have no record of it. And Jesus is making a point. I want you to get what I'm about to do and say with these disciples. So let's continue on. So I'm going to skip down to verse 22. So they go back and forth. Jesus says, what things are you sad about? He knows, obviously. They tell him, well, Jesus, and he was crucified. We thought he was the Messiah. He was just a prophet, I guess. I don't know. Verse 22. He, they said, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain, of those, or, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Stop here. This really proves the whole point of what we're talking about today. They had testimony that Jesus was risen from reliable people, from other disciples, from the women at the tomb. They had testimony from reliable people in what? They did not believe. 
Why? We just read, they were sad. If they believe the testimony, why would they be sad? Right? So what? They were distraught. They did not believe. They might have hoped, but they didn't believe. I hope what they're saying is true. I hope you really did see an angel. And he did say that Jesus is alive, but I just don't know what to believe. And so there they go walking there. They are sad, they're distraught, and they're just so overtaken with grief, they can't even recognize Jesus. So the testimony was not enough. The testimony of people they even knew personally and intimately was not enough to convince them and to believe in their heart that Jesus was in fact alive. Let's continue in verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and, and to enter into his glory? And beginning, look, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amazing. Amazing. It was more important for Jesus to focus on the scriptures than it was to reveal his identity to his disciples. Are we seeing it? Like if Jesus, who is the word made flesh, puts that much emphasis on the word, the written word, and the prophets to convince and to reveal and to expound to them the scriptures, it should be very important to us as well. He was more concerned about what they heard rather than what they saw with their natural eyes. So Jesus, what does he do? He continues to talk with them. Eventually they get to a stopping point where they're gonna take a break and it's evening and the day is well spent. They go in, Jesus dines with them. They're having a meal. And once they heard Jesus expound the scriptures to them and there Jesus at, at the dinner table breaks bread with them, their eyes are opened and Jesus then leaves. What is Jesus doing? Here's, what, here's what's amazing. Uh, let me get to that. Let me, let me read this next passage and then we'll... I'll, reveal it to you here. Once they heard and they saw him break the bread, their eyes were open. Let's go to verse 32 now. And they said to one another, this is after Jesus has left them, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. What? Now we believe it. And it has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Stop right here. People's hearts burn within them when the scripture is preached. When the scripture is preached, that's what they're showing us. When he revealed the scriptures to us, didn't our hearts burn within us? Not, not emotions, didn't I have goosebumps? Ooh, that must have been the Holy Spirit. No, our heart, there's something deeper in here that they said, man, there was, when he was talking to us, my faith was fanned into flame and I had this, this sense on the inside of me that what he was saying is true. Our hearts burn within us when the, script, the scripture is preached. Not when we give our opinions about matters at hand. That's not when people's hearts burn within them. Not when we give good TED Talks on Sundays. That's not when people's hearts burn within them where life change can happen. It is only when the scripture is preached. And when we preach and when we read scripture, the Holy Spirit will reveal things to us that were impossible to see before. But it's only through this. It is only through God's word. So Christ revealed himself, Jesus revealed himself to them through the breaking of his body, the breaking of bread, right? Here's what's amazing. We just did this when we took communion together. What was he doing? They recognized him when he broke the bread. We just read 
that when we take communion, what are we doing? Proclaiming his death until he returns. Jesus, even in the breaking of bread, he's reminding them of scripture by symbolically preaching the cross. Not with his words. He's already built their faith by reminding them of scripture. And now at this point, he says, see what I say is true. This, I'm, I'm still preaching the, the scriptures to you by breaking this bread as we take uh, of the bread together. So Jesus, what is he doing? He's valuing the scripture that he's putting into their heart more than him just revealing himself to them. Let's continue on. I'm gonna skip down uh, or continue in verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Now Jesus appears in the midst of all the disciples and he said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So here's what's interesting. The disciples responded, the group of disciples responded to the two that returned. They responded after hearing testimony, how? As natural men. The testimony didn't change their, it changed the two that had Jesus showed them the scriptures. It changed their belief. But the rest, they responded as natural men ruled by their natural senses. And that's why when Jesus showed up, what? Fear, terrified, frightened. So hear me in this. This is why God doesn't appear to people to get them to believe. So in our Holy Spirit series, Jordan asked me a good question. He caught me after service and he said, I got question for you. And he said, we know that Holy Spirit had to come and, and Jesus obviously had a job to do, but why couldn't we have both? Why can't Jesus still be here and we have the Holy Spirit? And at first I was like, that's a good question, <laughs> right? That could really clear some things up. But when we see Luke 24, we begin to realize that as weird as this sounds, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Because even when Jesus showed up personally to his own disciples, they still did not believe. Now, I'm going to show you here in a second. I'm going to show you. They responded in a way that was natural. They had physical evidence. Jesus is there. Give me a bite to eat. They give him some honeycomb. He eats it. They still don't believe. He's, they, he proves he's not a spirit, and they still don't believe. And so I would say this before I continue in our, in our passage here. Do not fall into the misbelief that miracles can convince any skeptic. Don't fall to the misbelief that miracles will convince any skeptic. There are some people who are so hard-hearted that they could see a crippled be healed and walk and run for the first time ever, and they would still say, no, nah, I don't believe it. And blaspheme the Holy Spirit and say, no, nah, there's no way that, that was just some showmanship. They still will not believe it. And that's why Jesus could walk around today and there would be a whole mass of people that would, um, I know would break his heart, but they would say, no, nah, I don't believe. It's fake. But what causes belief? This is where we finish our passage here. Let's go down to verse 44. What does it take to believe? Then Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. 
Then they believed. Then they received their salvation moment. Then they waited until the day of Pentecost to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then they went out and they led and they, they turned the world upside down. What did it take? Jesus showing up in person? Nope. Them seeing the holes in his hands? Nope. Him showing he's not a spirit by eating honeycomb? Nope. What did it take? Jesus, the word made flesh, reminding them of the word. How important is it then? When they didn't believe the physical evidence, where did Jesus, when it was right in front of them, what did Jesus do? He took them to the Old Testament. So this is another reminder. We need the whole Bible, not just New Testament. We need the whole Bible. We need the whole, everything in the Old Testament is foreshadowing the new. Imagine it this way. If there's a bright light coming from the end of the hallway down there, right? And Jesus was walking towards us or a person was walking towards us. What's gonna hit me first on the stage? His shadow. Eventually he's gonna continue to walk and I will be able to handle Jesus. That is exactly what the Old Testament does. The Old Testament is the shadow. He's coming from the father who is what? The father of lights. Jesus is coming. He's on his way. And in the Old Testament, they got, we have shadows. This whole, the, the first half here is what? It's shadows. It's the shadow hitting us. We're saying, man, this looks like a person. This is shaped like Jesus. This is eventually going to point to Jesus. And finally, Jesus shows up and he says, you don't need the shadow anymore. You need me. I'm here. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. So what did Jesus do? He takes him to the Old Testament. We need the whole Bible. He said, he reminds them of this words. He spoke to them, New Testament. And he reminded them of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Christ establishes that the preaching and the revelation of the word carry more authority than any vision or physical evidence. Hear me in this. We must value God's word over any word because the word releases everything. The word is the foundation that releases everything. What does it say? Nothing is impossible for those that believe. That's what scripture says. How do we have belief? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must hear this preached and we must consume it personally. And in doing so, we increase our belief. And in doing so, we have a closer relationship with God. And now we have a foundation for this life that we can experience all that God has for us here on this earth. I'm gonna tell you something. We'll be a church that is committed to the word of God above any word. And that's why we give you note-taking cards. And that's why I give you an abundance of, of scripture every single Sunday, because this isn't the Pastor Dan show up here on Sunday, y'all. We're here to glorify Jesus through the preaching of his word. Amen. Let's talk about how we can value this in our personal lives. And I'm gonna go through these really quick. How do we value God's word in our personal lives? Simply saying, how do we study God's word? It's great that we do it as a church, but I'm gonna tell you something. One hour on Sunday ain't enough for you to live and do everything that God's asking you to do on this earth. You need to do it yourself. You need to get in the scripture yourself and get in God's word yourself. So how do we do it? Number one is this, talk, talk. This is how I do it. There's, a, there's other ways that you can study God's word, but this is how I do it. And this is a good rhythm that I've found in my personal life. You need to talk to God. What does that mean? Enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Thank him. As soon as you get up in the morning, Lord, thank you for breath in my lungs. Lord, I thank you for health. Lord, I thank you for uh, this day. I think it's another day that I get to walk with you. Lord, I thank you for your presence today. I just begin to thank him. Thank him for his goodness. Psalm 100 verse four, enter in his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Begin to worship him. And I promise you the Holy Spirit and the presence of God will meet you exactly where you're at. The second thing when it comes to talking is this, ask God to help through the Holy Spirit. Ask God to help you through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 7 says this, keep on asking 
and you will receive what you asked for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. What are we asking, seeking, knocking for? We're not saying, Lord, can you just give me that million dollars? That's not what I'm doing. The more important thing that I can receive and ask for from God is more of God, not more from God. Because if I get more of God, every need I have is going to be met. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's financial, it's the first one that might come to your mind, but it's more than that. It's spiritual. It's mental for your mental health. It is healing for that bitterness or that forgiveness that you need to have in your life. It's going to come to you, but ask for more of God, not more from him. And you need to make a habit of talking to God and asking for his help. So every time before I read scripture, I say, Lord, show me what you would have me to, to, to see today. Lord, would you help me understand the book that you authored? Yes, humans put pen to paper, but God breathed it and he is the author. There's many writers, but he is the author of this book. The second one is this, read. So I'm going to talk. Obviously, I need to read. I need to read God's word. Here's some, some tips. If you're struggling with this, read God's word. I would encourage you with a physical Bible. The app is great, but Instagram is right next to it. You know what I'm talking about? Easy to get distracted. Get a physical Bible, read it slowly. I would encourage you to read it out loud where you can hear yourself with your own ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of the best ways for you to hear God's word is for you to read it and speak it out loud, for you to hear yourself uh, speaking it. Read it out loud and read with the intention to receive from God, not just complete a chapter. I talked about this last week. Don't just read saying, I gotta read a chapter today. No, read saying, Lord, help me see what you have for me today. You may read a full chapter, that's great but read with the intent to receive and hear God's voice rather than I just got to get through this so I can get on with my day. Read it slowly. Read it slowly. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than in the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Look, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, we quote this and, and we, th we quote it against our spiritual enemy. And yeah, our, our word, God's word in our mouth, it works as a weapon against our spiritual enemy. However, the first place that this sword is going to go to work is in your life and in your heart, in here. Because if we can get this right, <laughs> now we cleaned up a clear channel for God to use to impact a lot of people. We don't wanna be a roadblock. Sometimes he's gotta cut some things out and some lifestyles and some things and some habits and some attitudes so he can use us more fully to impact other people. But it takes me being intentional to say, Lord, take this sword and cut out and prune anything in here that you don't want. And if I ask for that, he will reveal it and then I can walk in obedience. But you have to welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit through God's word. Our culture doesn't like discipline. Right? Look at the modern parent. There's a pressure on us to just, you know, I hate to see it, but to see these, these parents, their kids are slapping them in the face and screaming no in their face. And they're just, hey, tell me about your feelings and all this stuff. If we don't discipline our children for this next generation, biblically, just read Proverbs, it'll show you how to do it. If we don't discipline our kids biblically, they will struggle to receive discipline from their heavenly father. Here's the other thing. You as a parent need to mo model it in your own life. How are you receiving discipline from your heavenly father in front of your kids, modeling it so that they can do the same? We've got to model it. 
conviction is an expression of God's mercy because when obeyed, it leads to forgiveness and freedom. When it's ignored, it leads to a calloused heart and a self-deceived life. That's how we can get up on Sundays in some churches and preach for 40, 50 minutes and not use scripture at all, but use stories and pull on your heartstrings and what we're just self-deceived thinking, oh, we got it. I'll just kind of quote it to you, but I won't actually read it to you. It's dangerous. It's a self-deceived life that will lead to devastation. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture is inspired by God. It is used to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What if we read our Bible with that in mind? Lord, go to work in me rather than reading it and saying, you know who really needs to know this, right? I'm gonna text this to my brother. I'm gonna post this online, right? Rather than doing that, what if I had the attitude of saying, Lord, help me today, help me today. Number three is this, listen, listen. Don't stop at reading. You may read a chapter, you may read a few verses and you feel like God was revealing some things to you. You wrote it down, you made note of it. Don't just close the, the book and move on with your day, listen. Isaiah 55 is so good. It says this in verse two. It says, why do you spend money on what is not bread (laughs) and your wages on what does not satisfy? Meaning this, yeah, you're buying bread for your natural body, but that ain't real bread. Yeah, you're spending money on things that you think you need in your life that are gonna satisfy you, (laughs) but that's not what's gonna satisfy you. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Look, God promises abundance and satisfaction, fulfillment to those who listen, but don't just listen, they listen carefully. I read my Bible slowly because I wanna hear from God. Lord, stop me whenever you need me to. It takes time, attention, effort to listen carefully and many aren't willing to do this. And that's why I love what David uh, Guzik said. This is from his commentary. It says this, you can put up the quote, whoever will genuinely feast upon the word must consciously incline their ear towards what God will say. This explains why two people can listen to the same message and one will benefit and the other not. Often the one who did not benefit simply did not incline their ear to the Lord. And this is why church, Every Sunday before we get into the message, we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. What are we doing? Inclining our ear to hear from God, not from me, from God. How? Through his word. Not our opinions of what's going on in the world, not not what we think is going on, what we think would be right. What is truth and what is right? God's word is the only foundation for life change, for hope, for salvation, for healing, for miracles and the like. We must be a church that values God's word over any word. We must be a people who values God's word over any word. How? Talk, thank him, ask him for help, read, read slowly, get a physical Bible. We have free ones up here at the front if you wanna take one home. They're a great Bible, they're a great resource. Read with the intent to receive, not complete a task, and listen, incline your ear every day and you will hear the voice of the Lord and he will guide you into his purpose and to a life, life abundantly. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Thank you for equipping us in this life to do all that you've asked us to do. I thank you that you did not abandon us to try to wander this life alone. Thank you that you've given us a playbook that we can take, we can read, we can consume, 
and we can feast on, Lord, as real bread. And Lord, I thank you that as we make a commitment as a church to value your word above any other word, Lord, I thank you that you will bring blessing to this house because it's your house. We submit to you. It's not ours, it's yours. We were just stewards of it, Lord. You were the head of this place. And Lord, as we commit to be a people and a families, Lord, and individuals that commit to your word above any other word, I thank you that you will begin to reveal yourself in a fresh way, in a new way, in a powerful way in our lives so we can know you and walk with you like never before. We thank you for it. And we're we're in such anticipation for what you're going to do in this next season. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.